Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, making a difference that lasts on diversity. It's Friday, November 18th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. A programming note, coming on Monday's show, retiring technical debt in a federal agency. The chief information officer of the Labor Department, Gundeep Alawalia, will be here to talk about that. He's written a description of how he's done it in his agency and how you can do it in your agency. And he's Monday's guest on the Daily Scoop podcast. You can find that show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your shows, and always at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Salesforce is the connected platform that powers government health services. Salesforce helps public entities engage with their health constituents on a single intelligent platform to improve care outcomes from anywhere. Learn more at sfdc.co slash psh. Today, more of a discussion on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Wednesday's lunch event that AFCA DC hosted at the Army-Navy Country Club in Arlington. My thanks to AFCA DC for inviting me to be a part of it. My guest on stage was Major General Mitchell Kilgo, Deputy to the Inspector General of the Army. In this highlight of that conversation, General Kilgo talks about resources he's used to keep a dialogue about DEIA issues alive and moving forward. There's a whole bunch. I, I, I will tell you all that there's a, um, there's a, there's a, being a military person, there's a particular book that, uh, uh, that I love that, that helped me relate, uh, you know, uh, to the military and how we get after our, our workforce, our, our, our leaders. Um, and it's, uh, you know, being a former athlete, I, uh, a lot of the traits that I used coming to the Army, I, I learned from being a member of an athletic team and, and from coaches. And so Tony Dungy uh, has a book called The Soul of the Team, right? The Soul of the Team. And what he takes is a, a uh, you know, hypothetical pro football team and he talks about this as a championship caliber team that can't quite get there and he talks about you know that it's a premise around going into that organization and changing the organization to change it and to make it look different to get it to its potential uh, and it's a great book it's a quick read uh, and soul is selfless Right, so he talks about selflessness, and that particular aspect. Uh, the O is ownership, and that's owning your role within that organization. Um, the U is unity, and it gets to unity of effort. How do you get everybody rolling in the same direction? And in that, you know, you're dealing with a diverse group of folks in that locker room, right? The age difference, the experience difference, all of it. And then the L is the larger purpose. And while I was commanding CECOM, we developed the soul of CECOM based off of that to get people to rally around a common cause. Why why are we really here? What is it really about? Uh, And the whole, really the, the fundamental basis of it is it's on people. It's on people and learning your people which helps you be successful. So that, that's one. There's a bunch of them out there. But this is one that I, that, that I really love. And, you know, Tony Dungy was a Pittsburgh Steeler, and Chuck Noll is his dude, and he coached there. And so 
I'm a Cowboys fan. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, Jim. <laughs> and I know that's bad around these parts. Nobody's right? perfect, sir. <laughs> but but if you wanna but if you want something that's very easy and that your folks can really digest, that'll help you build teams and kind of focus a little bit. I think that's an, a, that's a, an exceptional book. You talked about your CECOM experience, and you said earlier in this conversation that the green suitors learn in each experience and take it to the next assignment. What did you learn at CECOM that you took to Aberdeen? What did you learn at Aberdeen that you took to the building yeah. specifically regarding this subject? Yeah, so that's a good question. And, and, uh, and as I said, we, we are a learning <laughs> organization. We're learning people. Um, you know, one of the first thing, and it's, it's maybe a negative thing that, that, uh, that I learned, is that everybody's not on the team. Everybody's not on the team. Uh, a large, sometimes a large part of, the, part of the organization is right there with you, and they focus on exactly what you are, and they believe in it. But then you also have a decent enough percentage of the folks that uh, they're not on the team and they're not going to get on the team because people are very resistant to change. It threatens some folks. It just threatens some of them. That's and, the point Alvy made. That yeah, you were exactly. nodding your head very enthusiastically yeah. when he talked about what are you going to do to my world. Yeah, exactly. It, it threatens folks. And, you know, Alvy talked about walking into the, the, the meeting, right? As you all know, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not an anomaly, right? I'm not an anomaly because we have a decent number of minority general officers and flag officers in the SES ranks now. Still not maybe where uh, it should be, but there are more. Now you can kind of see yourself when you look. Uh, but I still walk into a lot of rooms when, and I'm not, again, I'm not focused on black, right? I'm, I happen to be. But I'm not focused on that. I still, when I walk into a room with my peers, I look to see how many minorities are represented in the room, right? I, I yearn for the day that, you know, perhaps one of my, you know, my oldest one, I lost him. He went in the Air Force. Uh, <laughs> I thought you my, might have Yeah, no. My two baby boys, perhaps if they're in the Army and achieve a senior rank one day, that that won't even be a thought when they walk into the room, that they walk into a room uh, and it's a very diverse like this room is, that it's not a thought, it's not something that they, that they have to think about at all or be concerned about, that there is a path where they can see. And so it, it really was that uh, people are so resistant to change even though you're doing the right things, they're not going to get on board because mm -hmm. you're wrecking their world, yeah. right? And that's where we also have to be careful. Uh, you know, we talked about transparency and having the conversations and having programs and doing things. You also have to be very careful. And this is where race really comes into it. The focus of DE&I is not just race. It's the total person, the total experience, right? The age differences. We're forced to the most. They're probably 17, 18 years old when they come in, right? What do I know about a 17, 18 year old? A little bit because I've got a 13 and a 16 year old old dude with kids that young, right? But there's a gap. So if I didn't have them, my only relation would be the 35 year old that I have. So there's a difference, but it forces us into the same space. They have some great ideas. 
and from different background. And because, you know, I believe that youngsters entering the workforce are 10 times as smart as I was entering the workforce, right? Before we called it STEM, I was a STEM dude, right? I'm a pseudo geek, right? The football player that was a math major. <laughs> you didn't get many of those, but they're smarter. They're smarter. And if we don't leverage that, it slows us down. But because they're smarter, I have experience and I've seen a whole lot more. They have maybe new methods of doing things. It makes us tremendously innovative. I will tell you a personal knock I've always had on myself. I'm not the most innovative person, right? I'm an old athlete, so I believe in tried, true, fundamentals, basics. I was an undersized tight end, right? But we ran my side all the time. Because I knew I'd get my head in the hole, I'd turn my hips, get that forearm into that dude's uh, waistline, and all he needed to hold that block was three seconds. If that back wasn't through there in three seconds, he should get knocked out, <laughs> right? Because he should be hitting that hole hard. And you never knew I was an undersized tight end, right? Because we're running that way. And so those fundamentals, those principles, those basics, I was rooted in that. So not very innovative. But these young kids are so innovative and they can get on and do things. And if you can bring those things together, just think about how powerful you become almost overnight. Mm -hmm. But so the, it's, it's, it's broad. You have to look at it every way. And when you look at, you know, when you look at your corporate, corporate board uh, or your leadership boards or your command structure, you ought to see that diversity splatted all over it. Not just race, but age, capabilities, background, where people come from. That's how, that's our, that's our decisive edge. And, I, and, I, and that's where the Army's going. And that's what we're trying to do in this space so that it becomes the new culture. What do you do as a leader? This is my question, not from the audience. Mm -hmm. What do you do as a leader when you recognize that somebody is not on the team and they're not going to be on the team? Yeah and you still need that skill set that they offer yeah. to the team. Yeah, so. Is that a workaround or is, nah, do you, you know, so Kilgore's approach has always not been a workaround. And you know, you've heard the old phrase, keep your enemies close. Kilgore's approach is I'm in your space a whole lot more. I'm in your space a whole lot more, I'm helping you. I'm trusting still somewhat, but I'm verifying. And because I know where you stand, it's powerful for me now, because now I know exactly what you're not going to do and what you will do because you want to. And so those things you don't want to do, that's when I'm going to be around. And that's when I'm present. And that's the power of being in a leadership position, not being afraid to walk in there and say, oh, yeah, you're going to do this. Right. And I've told a whole lot of people, if you don't want to do it, you got a choice. I can help you retire. Military or civilian or you know, when I mentor youngsters, I tell them, I'm training you for your next organization, not necessarily for this one, right? Because I want you to go somewhere and take what we're teaching to make the Army better. And so it's the same thing. If you ain't on board, you're going to see a whole lot more of me because I need to be in your space because if I'm not, I'm abdicating my authority as a commander or as a leader. And I never want to do that because then I don't know what's going on. And the minute I don't know what's going on, Something bad is going to happen to that organization. And I underwrite everything that happens in it. So if it's bad, I'm going to be the first one to step up and say, I own that. That's mine. You can relieve me. Right? But knowing is the power. 
Now, if you choose not to do anything when you know that, you accept a whole lot of risk, right? And the worst thing that comes out of me getting in your space when I know that you're not on board is that you file a complaint against me. Well, I'm, not, I'm not scared of that. I'm not afraid of that. I told you earlier, I'm gonna give you guidance to go do that because what am I never gonna do? I'm never gonna mistreat you. I'm not gonna be unprofessional with you, right? I'm not gonna do anything illegal, unethical, or immoral. And if I'm doing those things, I'm doing exactly what the Army's charged me to do as a leader. And when you can set that example, other leaders will follow into that and not be afraid. As a deputy IG, you, you'd be amazed at how many times that I've sat and had discussions with people. And when I ask the question, well, why didn't you do this? Well, I didn't want them to file a complaint. That's not a reason not to take action because you can't control whether or not they're going to file a complaint or not. So why worry about it? What you can control is how you deal with the situation and how you approach it. And if you're doing that the right way, the rest of that's just garbage. It's just trash. You ain't got to worry about it. That, that's my view. That may not work for everybody, uh, but it's, it's been effective for me and it's allowed me not to change who I am. And I feel comfortable in my boots every day. Very powerful stuff, General. Um, the next audience question is this. Did you have mentors who looked like you? And what impact did they have on your life and your career? I like that a lot because of what we yeah. talked about at the beginning about your story as a soldier yeah. and as a human, too. Yeah, I, I did, and I do. I do now. But I was at year five in the Army, I think, before uh, I got my first African-American mentor. Um, officer, I, I should correct that, officer. Um, what helped me was, and in, in, uh, you know, Thelma, you mentioned uh, sponsorship. So one of the things that helped me before I got to that point was those old Sergeant Majors, those command Sergeant Majors. Um, you know, I, I uh, um, my mom was, uh, she was in the reserves for a while. She's a retired Department of Army civilian. Um, worked at Fort Eustis there in Newport News, uh, and she went off and joined the reserves and uh, was in the reserves for about six or seven years, so... Uh, Wait a minute. She raised three of you. Three of us. Army civilian mm -hmm. and in the reserves. And in the reserves. Shout oh, yeah. out to your mother. Oh, absolutely. My God hero. Her. My hero. <laughs> when I, if, if, if you ever ask me who I am, my response to you is always... Uh, I'm the product of a proud black woman. God bless her. That, that's, that's how I introduce, start with who I am, because it ain't the uniform. It's what she put in, in me and what I saw, right, which drove me. Uh, but I had a connection and tie uh, to non-commissioned officers, because a lot of her friends were non-commissioned officers. Uh, and so I, I sought those folks out. You know, and, and I was an athlete, so, you know, I found the gym. That was the first thing I found. Every time I went to every installation, let me go in the gym and let's get some ball in. And who was in the gym? It wasn't officers. It was the enlisted. It was officers uh, or, or uh, non-commissioned officers, so I got to know them. And so I can say my first two African-American mentors or two sergeant majors, they were sponsors, and they helped me. And then I finally got... Uh, somebody who looked like me to begin to give me uh, ad advice. And, and that wasn't because of something I did. 
uh, because the installation that I was stationed on, uh, there were uh, three African-American, uh, two lieutenant colonels, and one uh, major promotable. Uh, and I sought out two after, out of the three, and they wouldn't touch me. They wouldn't touch me. They wouldn't have anything to do with me. Uh, and I don't know what it was, optics, and, but they wouldn't touch me. But these two SAR majors helped me along the way. Uh, and when I first got that first mentor, it was interesting. It was somebody who was at HRC, was on the desk working there, had read a couple of my evaluations, uh, sent me a phone, uh, uh, postcard and called. Uh, I was a company commander at the time and called me and said, uh, hey, I'm so-and-so. Um, I've looked at your files. They're pretty good. Um, and uh, I'm going to get to know you. And that taught me a lot. Had he never done that, it would have been probably another couple of years because I hadn't figured out how to find somebody to uh, latch hold to to, uh, to mentor me. So um, we as senior officers, we have to do a lot of reaching. And you have to take your personal time to do that. And, and you're obligated, I feel, to do that. Mm -hmm. If you're a senior in any organization, again, whatever echelon it's, it's in, you better be mentoring people. And that same six foot six dude that we had that first conversation about race, that was one of the things he told me. He said, hey, you have to become a mentor. You got to mentor everybody who's willing to be mentored. And those folks who aren't willing to be mentored, don't waste your time with them. But at the same time, if you don't mentor other African-Americans, nobody else will. Who do you expect to do that if you don't do it, mm -hmm. right? So when you look at my portfolio of people that I mentor, coach, and teach, it's full. But I guarantee you it's got African-Americans in it because I can talk to them about my experiences and give them good, sage advice on how to navigate uh, through the ranks. And I think everybody does that. And if you are white male, white GO, uh, the thing again, and that's why it's great that this, this conversation is open and it's transparent, because if you are a white GO or a white colonel or a white lieutenant colonel or a white command sergeant major, nobody ever questions if you're mentoring young white NCOs, officers, or soldiers. Nobody ever questions that. But it goes back to that fundamental thought that that Captain Promotable had about this two-man rule. Why is it different for me? And that's why the conversation is powerful, because it's not different for any of us. And when we do that, again, and eliminate race from the conversation and just talk about diversity and inclusion, that's where we, that's where we, that's where we need to be. All right, you mentioned sponsorship a moment ago, General. And I scribbled down here four different components, I guess, of how you work with people that are coming behind us. Mm -hmm. Coaching, teaching, mentoring, and sponsoring. If I missed one, I apologize. Mm -hmm. no, that's it. But what's the difference among each of those and yeah. what's the importance of providing each of them to the people yeah. who are coming behind? Yeah. So I'll start with mentorship. And so I think when you tie to a mentor and, and, and have truly mentors, um, and, and, and mind you, mentors, uh, and being a uniformed person, they're military, civilian, they're, and, they, and they, all your mentors don't uh, have to outrank you. Right? You've got some of those on mentor. They're like family that you relate to, that you will open up to and have any and every kind of discussion about, be it work-related or not. Okay? Uh, that's, that's, that's the mentor. And, and you don't have a whole, you know, there ain't 40 of those running around. 
There's a couple of those, but, but you have those. Uh, and then you have our coaches and teachers. They're all put, to, put together. Um, again, former athlete, uh, I'm still in contact with my college football coach uh, and, and my segment coach. Uh, and we communicate all the time. Um, and because they uh, taught me how to be a better athlete, but they also taught me how to be a man and about life and about other things. And so those coaches are people you come across uh, and they're with you for a decent amount of time. Uh, and you may not talk to them every day, but they're always there. And you can go check in with them. And, and there's a relationship still there. And then teachers I put in the category, uh, you know, I still remember my second grade teacher, Miss Bryant. All right, I haven't seen Miss Bryant since I was in third grade but I remember what she taught me and how she helped me, right? And so those teachers, if you're in industry or in the military, you're gonna to touch them in those units that you're in. And they're gonna teach you a lot about development and how to survive and educating you in that organization. But it's, it, is, it is the season, right, and not the year. And you walk away from that and you've got that tie, but it's not necessarily somebody, you may not ever communicate with them again, but you value what they taught you along the way. And you look for another teacher when you get to the next organization to teach you about the organization and to help you grow. And then sponsorship. And, and the best way I'll put sponsorship this way, sponsorship goes back to those mentors or those coaches. And it could be one of those teachers, but this is the, this is the person that, you know, I have a whole bunch of people send me an email and they don't have to ask me anymore. They'll send me an email and say, hey, sir, you may be getting a phone call from so-and-so because I listed you as a reference on my resume. Okay. And so what happens? I'm going to sponsor them when somebody calls me and talk to me about their strengths, their weaknesses. Would you hire them again? Would you work them? Would you like what you didn't like? And so perhaps what I do is develop a bridge for them or open a door for them to go in to get a job or to lead or to be effective. And that's, you know, and whatever it may be. So I'm going to sponsor you now to go do something. And what I tell anybody when they ask me, I say, okay, we're going to do this. And uh, I'm going to tell them the good and the bad, right? If there is some bad, I'm going to tell them these are the things that you probably need to work with them a little bit on to focus on. But I tell them all, if I help open a door for you, when you get in there, you better be exactly what I told them. Because if you don't, I won't sponsor you anymore and I can never open a door for you. And more importantly, I can't open a door for anybody that comes behind you, right? So there's, you owe me something if I'm gonna sponsor you to go do something or to jump a hurdle and get to the next thing. And so that's kinda, you know, and again, that's just Kilgo. It could be totally different for you or anybody else who view those things. But that's the way that I kind of define coaches, teachers, mentors, and sponsors. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to apologize now because I don't think we're going to be able to get, there's a time issue, <laughs> and I don't think we're going to be able to get to them all. Um, given the optics of this topic, how do we continue momentum and limit grounds for complacency and not just provide a training module and a check mark? You got to talk about it, right? It's got to stay. That's the culture piece of yeah. it too, right? Yeah, it's got it's to stay on the top. 
It's got to stay on the top. If you're in a key leadership uh, position, one of the things we do in the military, we always have strategic offsites, right? In Army, in our organizations, we do those. You take all your leaders off and, and you're focused on the organization and that. Uh, one of my tactics and, and techniques has always been every strategic offsite we do, the first three hours is mine. And I'm going to lead leaders, right? And we're going to have leadership discussions. We're going to have DNI uh, uh, discussions. We're going to have all these types of discussions. And I take pieces out of the organization. You know, I just, I just saw something that I didn't like very well. But it's not something that I need to go beat you up about. It's an observation I made. I write that down in my little book and I carry that with me. And that becomes a teaching point so everybody benefits from something that I observe. Good, bad, or indifferent. And so it's got to stay up here as a primary focus and a primary topic. Uh, and then you as a leader, you've got to drive it, right? John and I were talking earlier, and one of the things I told John was, okay, you walk into an organization and we hire people, right? You hire civilians, right? We hire military too. We interview them. They walk through a process. The Army now has this AIM marketplace where where now organizations are interviewing folks for these nominative jobs. But you also have that, you have some power and control because in our upper positions, we panel all those, we board those, just like we board military and boardrooms, we board those. So you go in, one of the first things I've always done is, what's our hiring policy? That's the first uh, uh, regulation or, or policy we have in place that I wanna read because I want to know how are we hiring key leaders in our organization. Uh, and if it promotes nepotism, meaning if I'm hiring for a key position and everybody on the panel is internal to the organization, no, 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 that's, that's a non-starter, right? So you go in, a panel member must be from outside the organization. The panel itself must be diverse. So if I'm hiring within the cybersecurity division, everybody on the panel is not going to be from the cybersecurity division. And oh, by the way, let me get a human resource specialist, perhaps, or a logistics manager uh, that's a good leader sit on that panel to give me an objective view of, of who you're hiring and how you walk in that process. So that's within your power to change and make that. And so those things like that, you got to keep doing that. You got to keep doing that. You want to promote and hire from within, but you also want to hire external to the organization if you want to change the culture. Because you can't change the culture of an organization consistently hiring folks from within the organization. They have to have a path to move up, but you also have to bring sprinkles in to help drive the change that you're looking for. And hiring, we always talk about hiring the right people at the right time for the right job, right? We're in a struggle. We're in a big competition for talent right now. As outside of our gates evolve and the talent increases, uh, you know, the military is not necessarily the most attractive uh, organizations to go join out, right? We were at war for two decades. So when you sign up, it's voluntary, but you know the opportunity exists where you might have to deploy or go do something else. It's a profession of arms. That's what we're about, the defense of the nation. It's a profession of arms. Don't ever forget that. But I want to fight for the same talent uh, that every corporation is fighting for because I need the best to come join my team so that we can maintain our decisive advantage, and that's our people. 
I think this question will appeal to the geek in you. Your words, <laughs> not mine. Pseudo-geek. Okay, fair. <laughs> fair point. How, <clears throat> excuse me, how does or how can technology enable the Army to increase its presence DEI-wise? Examples, uh, ability to leverage digital social media to recruit a more diverse Army, collaboration tools to build inclusivity across teams and geography, improve efficiency in the hiring and onboarding process. You know, I've got a different perspective on that. I, and so the, fundamentally, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and the reason why I say I'm not sure because there's, there's a potential now where you talk about potentially a negative aspect. There's a potential to maybe go down the wrong path, right? Numbers are numbers and numbers are powerful. When you're looking at data, compiling that, helping you make decisions. Um, but nothing, nothing is better than, hey, let, let, let's, uh, JC, let's sit down. Let me get a sense and feel of who you are, how maybe you fit this organization. Okay, what are your strengths? Uh, do they, you know, complement my weaknesses and that, that gut, right? Sometimes data can't give you that gut. And we talked about sponsorship and talking to other folks. And sometimes that network that you generate and create helps you. Um, and so, you know, I, I may be more of a dinosaur uh, to really go just to data and say, hey, this is the best way to do it because we can build the best team. Because we know you can hire the best engineer uh, to engineer something. And again, I talked about young folks and innovation. I could have the most experience, but I may be missing the ability to be innovative now because I'm stuck in my ways because they have proven to be uh, very good over the course of my career. And now I can't see the new thing that will help me evolve. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I might, you might even say I'm a little bit afraid of just leveraging data uh, to do things like that. There's probably a place for it to have a combination of, of, uh, of things to look at to help you make a graduated and an educated decision uh, about that. Uh, but uh, you always have to also be careful uh, of the numbers because if you know, and I don't talk politics, right? But if you look at what the, the discussion was going into these elections and what came out on the other side, was that data correct? I don't know. So I'm, I'm sorry if I didn't answer that great, but that's kind of that's where I am on that. Uh, I think this is the last one we'll have time uh, for from the audience. So if I didn't get to yours, I apologize. Um, if this whole room was made up of the young people, the wonderful young folks we <laughs> saw at the beginning of this conversation, what would you tell them and what would you want them to take away and go do as a result of that advice that you give them? I would, I would, I would tell them Besides a couple. sign up for the Army. Today. Oh, yeah. I would, tell them a, I would tell them a couple of things. Um, first, I would tell them, uh, invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Put time and effort uh, into yourself. Uh, be confident in yourself and in your abilities. Right? Um, education is something that nobody can take away from you. Right? But be confident when you walk in the door, which means that you need to prepare Right? Don't walk into anything cold without preparing for what's coming. Right? We have something in the, in the Army we call the six Ps. Prior planning prevents piss-poor performance. Right? 
And so, be, but be confident, but be prepared and be confident in what you do. Trust yourself, trust your gut, okay? When nobody's looking, do the right thing. Because then when somebody's looking, you're doing the right thing, okay? But believe in yourself, uh, treat people how you want them to treat you uh, and invest the time. That, that's, that's probably the, the, the main things uh, I would tell them because, um, you know, when you're, when you're making that jump and you're making that leap, I think the thing that holds youngsters back is confidence, mm. right? I know it was one of the things that, uh, that held me back, uh, that took me some time to materialize uh, was that, that confidence uh, piece. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and we struggle with that. Even adults struggle with that sometimes. But, but I would tell you, be, be, be confident. And if you invest the time appropriately into yourself, you can be more confident about that and leverage those around you. Not folks doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, cut, those, cut those folks loose because uh, they're not going to benefit you at all. But those around you that are doing good things, leverage them. Leverage them. And my mother would tell you, uh, be careful about who your friends are. Pick your friends wisely. I would listen to anything that your mother said. <laughs> anything. Not because I had to either. She obviously knows what she's talking about. Um, 38 years in? No, no. Ooh. No. 30. 30, 30, just short of 35 years. Well, that's still pretty good. Yeah. Two and a half weeks left. Two and a half weeks. Then what are you going to do? Uh, take a nap. Yeah. You've earned it. You've earned it. I'm going to take a nap and, and recuperate and... Uh, uh, you know, I love my business. I love what I do, and and then I'll look for opportunities to uh, continue to serve in in the FCA type environment. Yeah, we need you. Yeah, we need you. Um, anything that you did not have a chance to finish in that career that you wish you would have gotten to? Wow! Everybody always That's asks, a... "What are your favorite accomplishments?" That's yeah. a twist on that concept yeah no you know I, I I think I would tell you that um, I don't think there is because I, I I know that I put my best foot forward every day um, I didn't leave anything on the battlefield right uh, I suited up every day I came out uh, uh, prepared and I, I did my best to knock every challenge in the mouth every day um, and I didn't compromise my integrity uh, I feel good about uh, my troops, uh, meaning that I did something or said something to help somebody get to someplace. Uh, and even if it was just getting from a lower grade to the next grade, uh, I've got a great group of uh, youngsters, troops out there that I'm very proud of that are still doing great things uh, that will be... Um, key leaders and make a difference in the army. And so I, I feel good uh, about those things. And I don't think I missed any opportunities uh, to build a relationship uh, while I served. Um, I don't think you can find many people that said I mistreated them, even anybody that I had to jack up from time to time. <laughs> um, I love doing these and one of the reasons 
that I have enjoyed this one so much, sir, is that it's been terrific to get to know Major General Kilgo, but I've also really had a terrific uh, time getting to know Mitch. Thanks. Thanks. It's really been Same delightful. Here. Thank you for your time. Same here. Major General Mitchell Kilgo, Deputy to the Inspector General of the Army at Wednesday's AFSIA DC event on diversity, equity, and inclusion. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Salesforce brings the public sector and customers together in the digital age to access the new Veteran Mental Health and Resiliency Resources module. Go to trailhead.salesforce.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns Monday with Gundeep Alawalia from the Labor Department. Till then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.